Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 402 of the podcast with my wonderful guest, Dr. Shiloh. I am a big fan of Dr. Shiloh's from the LA Not So Confidential podcast. And if you're not familiar with that podcast, it could be because you're not as into sort of like the psychology of crime slash legal justice reform slash any number of other non non comedy based podcasts. Although I will say, I do find them both to be very funny and charming. I uh, but it's such a fascinating conversation. Um, she has such a great perspective into law enforcement and psychology and humanity and being a teenager, and it was just a joy to record. So I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it, and I hope everyone is well and uh, taking good care as we continue this. Uh, process of getting through 2020. God, we're so close, everyone! Thinking about you. I'm on a chair, and I, to be oh, honest you with you, to be honest with you, it's a it's a fairly new chair to the house, and I've never podcast on uh, on it before, and so I am feeling a, a sense of like, so right. Shiloh, what do I do with myself? Like, how does my <laughs> neck get supported? So we're gonna see how this goes. I'm sure it's gonna be great. Um, cool. But yeah, I, I'm just happy I got my <laughs> shit together to where I'm not in a closet anymore. So congratulations. You know, yeah. I mean, post COVID, or we figured it out because Scott and I normally do it in person, but we had to get creative. Yeah. So, you just um, found a, when we record. Yeah. Yeah. When we record in person, we just do it at work in a full on interrogation room and so it's totally soundproof <laughs> and um so yeah the closet was a second after that was no longer a thing i mean how many people <laughs> can say that they do their podcast from an interrogation room <laughs> it can't uh, be many not many um but yeah we got all the the approval from his commanding officers to use it after hours so that's fantastic. i just always think there's someone like on the other side of the two-way mirror you know, right. watching us. <laughs> this will all be used against you. There's absolutely no question of that. It's exactly. all used against you. Um, well, welcome to my humble podcast. Uh, this is, I've, I've, I passed the 400 mark and I'm in shock. Um, uh, 400 episodes is crazy. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been super fun and, and I'm so excited to have you on a little backstory for the listener i uh was on the wonderful crime writers on uh toby's deep dive toby balls deep dive book club with shiloh and rabia and toby and uh was wildly out of my depth and feel like i just like yammered like let me say big words i mean they were all from the heart but it definitely was like not ambling. And then and I was like, oh, God, this is not going to be a good, like, start. Like, it's not going to be a good precursor to me asking you to do my podcast. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> you had you had contacted me and I hadn't seen a DM yet. And I was like, I couldn't, my whole body just relaxed. I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, my God. No, I was like, <laughs> Janet was, 
so much fun on the the show and I have to just tell her like how much fun I had and then DM'd you and was like okay maybe she'll see it one day I'm sure she has people doing her DMs and checking that so <laughs> I didn't tell you what I should because I am garbage at checking <laughs> stuff like that anything I can't even answer my own texts like after a certain point if I don't answer it right away it just right. drifts down the pile whereas like email I'm great because it's in front of me you know if it gets dealt with it moves into a different box or it gets deleted and so it's all right there texts are they just seem so ephemeral and and so I'll Mm -hmm. scroll down looking for something else and be like oh I never responded to this person at all absolutely absolutely and I love to like clear out texts and emails and so like I will throw stuff away if I don't need it and um, sometimes that happens with people I haven't even answered Yeah, we're terrible people. We're te- we're terrible human beings. The other thing that, um, and this is like the just the this is a very dorky thing to say, but uh, I didn't because I haven't seen. I mean, I've seen a picture of you, but I haven't done any of the like talkbacks. I'm not sure how much that on the get vocal people are if they're seeing you. Yes. But, um, yes. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Um, but is. yeah, so it's you were wearing platform. like. You know, you just you just were you were just wearing something like fairly, you know, like like me. It was sort of like whatever, you know, it wasn't like a big statement thing. And it wasn't until close to the end of the podcast that you lifted up your left arm and I saw your tat your <laughs> tattoos and I was like, Whoa, hold on. Something something interesting is happening here. I'm super excited about it. Happens all the time at work because people you know, I, I work for a big government agency. Well, law enforcement agency um, and by default government in Los Angeles. And yeah, I I can't walk around with short sleeves on. And of course, like psychologists, very professional, you know, suits every day. And so these one time that I feel comfortable enough, like I go to lunch with someone and I'm like, I'm going to take my jacket off. I know I'm going to be out of policy. And they look at me super confused. And then it was like, <laughs> oh, God, like I wasn't expecting that. I'm like, yes, psychologists can have tattoos. <laughs> they certainly can. They certainly can. Um, are there is that something that but are there other so can cops in general like can you have tattoos as long as they're not as long as they're concealed like I guess if you're wearing if you're like a patrol and you're wearing a short sleeve shirt probably you can't have like a sleeve it depends on the agency so most agencies have policies now um, of some sort regarding tattoos before I was a psychologist when I was working as a patrol officer I was I was a police officer and you know, it. I don't want to say people didn't have them like they do today because, of course, they did. And but there, there were policies that if it was sort of excessive, like a full sleeve, or of course something that would be deemed distasteful, that it had to be covered. And then what a lot of agencies started doing is saying, okay, we're putting a policy into place. Whatever you have that shows now that you've been getting away with is fine. We're going to photograph you. You get grandfathered in. But if you add anything you're going to have to cover it up. So I had, I had a little, I had my husband's name, you know, the kiss of death, right? Um, (laughs) I had my husband's name on my arm and my sleeve covered most of it, but you would see it pop out every once in a while. But I I totally remember getting in trouble at the academy because I had like a couple little ones on my ankle. And so they would show when we were doing our, our physical fitness stuff and anything that draws attention to you in the academy is the worst because uh-huh. not that we weren't allowed to have them, but just like, 
oh, what's that star on your ankle? You know, and they're calling me by my last name. You think you're a superstar? You think that, and it's just like, there it goes, you know, <laughs> something right. to latch onto, to belittle you about. Um, when did you, when did you start getting tattoos? Did you know, because I know you're from a, a bit of a law enforcement family. Did you right. know that that was going to be in your future or, because I also know that you had maybe some, uh, adventures as a younger person yeah oh I did have some adventure not you know not too terribly bad um I feel like you know when I was 17 I kind of gave all my mom her gray hair and wrinkles like it within that one year but I was a pretty good kid (laughs) um but speaking of mom she had a tattoo she always had this butterfly always since I've known her (laughs) had this butterfly tattoo on her ass and I was just always fascinated by it whatever I expected you to say that was not the body part I was expecting (laughs) and I just kind of love the story that um on this double date with my dad that the guys were going to go get tattoos and this was like in the 70s and um the guys ended up chickening out and so the wives got them and so I kind of love that story about my mom yeah um and I didn't get my first tattoo until I was probably 21-ish. Um, but it was it was certainly an experience that I'm like, this is something everybody needs to experience. And I don't know why it is. Just can you tolerate it? What's your pain tolerance like? Then um, it, you know, of course, was a, a tramp stamp. It wasn't, you know, barbed wire or tribal or anything, <laughs> thank God. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it just from then on, I have this arm sleeve now. I'm working on a leg sleeve right now. I mean, I just, I, I really kind of took to it. I think it's an incredible art that I have so much awe for. Yeah. When you, just artists in general, you know, amaze me. But um, to just sit and think that somebody can do these these amazing pieces of work on the human body is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I had a tattoo that I got, I had ended up having to get removed because I oh. couldn't work because it was on your neck it was it was on my cheek right here um it was just like the musculature of the cheek it was like showing people how the musculature works underneath a bit of like a body worlds kind of a thing um no I had I just had a just a double band one thicker than the other on Mm -hmm. my arm and um I, I you know I guess I was so pale and and so not looking like a person who should have a tattoo that when I would get cast and stuff, no no one would know. They'd be like, oh, I think we can cover that. And then I would come out with just like a gray green smear of bad. Pretty jarring. Yeah. And this was like, you know, 15 years ago. So they hit there even it was even worse now than it is like in terms of I mean, it's it's much better now than it was back then in terms of like how you cover it up and people's expertise in that. So I gradually started to get it lazed off. But it was interesting because I kept I felt like I was continuing to get tattoos, even though I was getting a tattoo removed because the process of that is eerily similar. (laughs) There's just not much of a payoff. You're not like, wow, afterwards. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Look at my scabs. Wee. <laughs> they called the, at the place where I was getting it removed, they, they did call me the laugher because apparently I was one of very few people who with the pain taught like that, it would immediately ignite my adrenaline and I would be like, oh, that fucking hurts oh my so gosh. bad. But it was so giggly. Like I definitely was, and then I would come out and people would just be look like they could hear me and they were in the waiting room and I would come out and they'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm, there's the laugher. Uh, Right, right. Oh my gosh. Laughing is one of my defense mechanisms that happens in hugely inappropriate settings. I remember 
being an undergrad, and I, I was a criminal justice and psychology major. And we were in, in some sort of criminal justice class, and I remember we were studying um, crimes about intimate partner violence, and they were showing some photographs. And I was so uncomfortable with it that I started laughing. And I, you know, I, I think other people around me sort of started to as well. <laughs> we didn't, nobody was looking at me like I was an awful person, but looking back on it, I was like, geez, what was that about? But obviously just hugely uncomfortable with what was going on, <laughs> but transitioned well into like the humor that we have to use in law enforcement. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we host Round Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to your favorite Simpsons writers, voice actors, and everyone who's worked on the show to talk about shows that aren't The Simpsons. So we're going to be talking to people like David X. Cohen, Yeardley Smith, Tim Long about other projects they've worked on, sometimes projects that didn't go well. Mm. Some failures. Yeah. Some rejections. Some failed pilots. (laughs) Some failed life events. Yeah. We just (laughs) talked to all the failures of The Simpsons. Yeah. So if you really love your Simpsons trivia and want to get to know the people who have worked on The Simpsons a little bit better, come by Round Springfield. Every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Remind me of your your family's background, kind of how the law enforcement stuff plays in. Yeah, so my my mom, my dad, and my stepdad were all deputies here in Los Angeles County. Um, so that's the family that I was born into. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't something that I ever really wanted to do. I, I thought... You know, I want to kind of do something more. You want to do something more and grander than your parents did. Yeah. Um, and, and had crazy admiration for my mother being in law enforcement as a woman in the 70s and the 80s and just her being a trailblazer in yeah. that way. And, and she worked patrol and, and she was a detective for a bit. And she only worked for about 11 years. And then when she had my little sister, she decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Um but nonetheless had certainly, you know, paved the way for me wanting to do something very challenging. Um, So my thought was always, I want to do something more investigative. I don't want to be working on the street as a cop necessarily. Um, So I go to undergrad, I, I start studying at Cal State Fullerton, and I figure out that there's this job at the California Department of Justice. And basically it's like California's version of the FBI. And they had special agents and all you had to have was a bachelor's degree hmm. and you could go work for them. And I thought that's perfect, sounds good. Um, and then I graduate and the state of California was on this big hiring freeze. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm working part-time at Starbucks as a barista. And then I'm also part-time, I was working at my local police department just as uh, a cadet, so a civilian for yeah. college students. And months go by, the state is still not hiring, and I'm like, I really need a real job now that I've graduated. So I actually set my sights on the FBI at that point, but I needed experience. I couldn't just go in with a bachelor's degree. So I went to my captain where I was working and said, hey, if um, 
I put in for police officer, will you guys hire me because I need experience to go to the FBI. I don't plan on being here forever. And he was really great. He was like, of course, um, give me four good years because we're going to make an investment in you. And yeah, so I, I, I went through the process and um, went through the academy, which is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, As a person who's seen Silence of the Lambs many times, I can tell you I know how hard it is. There's a lot of running Ugh, and I guess that's all I need to know. <laughs> the, the physical, like, I, put me in a classroom any day, you know? Like, if I could be a professional <laughs> student, I would, just because I love it so much. But the physical stuff was the worst. But the shooting's really fun. The shooting's <laughs> the really shooting fun. range is great. <laughs> oh, man. I am so... I'm so fascinated by the idea of, and by the way, I you've you've done so many podcasts where I where I know you've had to like unload all of that because everyone's like, ooh, dish, tell me everything about how you got to where you are. Um, but you know, growing up in in Tucson, Arizona, to you know, to public school teachers and having never like, I don't. I mean, I'd never held a gun until I was in show business and like, right. you know, was sort of told like, this is a real one. It's just, you know, it's, it's empty. And I was like, what do I, you know, yeah. su such that person and the end, like I've only gone shooting once and, you know, I was just shake my, my teeth were chattering from the adrenaline. Um, yes. it's, it's, you know, it's just so, it, it's fascinating to imagine growing up in a culture where, you know, where that's normal and it's about being safe and it's, you know, I, that's just so different. And one of the things that I love about what you and Scott are doing is you seem like such a great, it's, it must feel like a lot of responsibility sometimes thrust upon you, but being this bridge between people who sort of have one opinion of the criminal justice system or have an opinion about cops and who are, you know, a lot of the time I feel like true crime fans, especially the kind of compassionate ones who mm -hmm. are, you know, obsessed with missing person cases or obsessed with, you know, wrongly accused or wrongly convicted cases tend to just sort of like make it black and white or, or you know, it's right. like who's the enemy and who's the good guy. Um, and it's I feel like you really guys are interesting so, time. Yeah. And so I, I just love that you exist when you exist because um, I feel like you're you're bringing like rationale to those conversations in in a way Thank that's more you. nuanced it's hard it's hard to to know what to address what not to address to you know certainly um i'm doing my own reflection as, you know in the last several months um as well as you know scott to some extent because he he works as a psychologist in law enforcement I mean, his partners are detectives that's who he's around all day. And of course, we've been friends forever. So, you know, he he knows me personally in that capacity and my my husband, who's also a police officer. But yeah, there there has been some times in the last few months where, you know, I, I've made the the time to sit back and say, okay, um, you know, I come from a pretty white family. I, I am half Hispanic. My dad is is Hispanic, but Visually, I mean, I don't present that way. I haven't really identified that way because he, he, um, his mother was out of state. So there wasn't a lot of cultural influences that way for us. 
Um, but that was, you have to admit, that was a very funny, that was an amazing thing to be like, I come from a very white family. Oh, of totally. course I am half Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, I always identify as white. And mm. I, I mean, it's a nice way to say my dad was super whitewash, you know, right. <laughs> even though he's Hispanic. Um, and to just kind of think like, okay, are there stories? Are there things that, you know, my parents ever told me that now I have to look back on and go, hmm like problematic or not, or, you know, how did that shape just the way I kind of saw the world for a long time or, um, and then moving into kind of like my own experience in law enforcement and, you know, what was that like? And, and how can I say that I approached every single call for service or, um, incident in a fair way to the community that I was serving, Um, So, yeah, there's been a lot of self-reflection as well as um, I think Scott and I, what we try to do is really just to get people to think critically Mm -hmm. because it isn't black or white. It isn't all or nothing. You can feel drawn to two different um, populations that society would like to have us have at odds and still find the good in each and still right. know that there's a lot of work to be done too. Right. So it's, it's, it's been a really um, tough time. And then you layer that on top of, you know, I'm literally working in police psychology. So my clientele right now are officers and their families. And so, you know, helping them through those struggles and what that's like for each one of them has a different story as well. And yeah, and, but, and you've also worked on the side of, of treating like violent offenders, people, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Per- previously incarcerated people are um, who I've worked with the majority of my career as a psychologist. And I still do to a small extent in my private practice now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have literally, you know, the whole spectrum of what's sort of being talked about today, <laughs> they have touched my life in a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I really am going to make this about you, and we're going to dip back into your high school in just a second. I knew this was going to happen because we'll get there. I have my brain <laughs> is just chir- like you know, I just am. That's the, for me. This is like candy, like you know, for me talking about like criminal justice reform and stuff. Mm-hmm. That that's very that's that my brain just like really you know gets juiced, um, as I'm sure is true for for many people who aren't actually professionals in that realm, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine, it's been such a, it's been such a crazy year and, and it's really hard, especially with social media because of those polarities creating this kind of vacuum where, you know, like, ah, oh, law, enf- I mean, law enforcement for all of the problems that we're all talking about right now, there is an element of like it must be it just it must be hard not to want to say here's this here's this here's this job in which you are front facing you're facing the public people can say things like i pay your salary yet the experience of being a cop seems like it would be so specific and at times so intense that it's this real dichotomy of like being very front facing, very present, like who, this is the person you expect to come. If there's a burglary, this is a person who's going to give you the jaywalking ticket. That's the person who's giving you the speeding ticket. That's a person who saves your life when you're getting mugged, whatever. It's all front facing. So there's a sense of like, no, 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 I know what it's like to be a cop. So if I'm telling yeah. you that you're racist 
and and that you're overreacting to these situations it's because i know what your experience must be like or more so like it doesn't matter at all and sure and there's no it just feels like there's so much there's just conversations that need to be able to happen and it's hard when it seems like those conversations aren't permissible because anything short of huge revolution feels like it's giving back to the system that seems broken and I totally get it but it's that's I'm such a freaking communicate I'm such a person who's like well now hold on let's all talk together (laughs) and put our hands in each other's hands exactly which is like you know that is not what was called for this summer and I totally get it and you know I have and I have a tremendous amount of bottled up rage inside me as a woman who's been you know accosted in the street and all that kind of stuff but at the core you know it's like I know but like I don't think it's 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 tough it's tough it is it is and you know it it actually it's been a real honor over the summer especially after the the first round of protests in LA I should say to really just be able to hold some space with my clients police officers um you know, men, women, every different color you can think of, and just let them process. And I I think, you know, the majority of them, we we would kind of come to this agreement, like at the end of a session, especially those first sessions after the protest, like that big first week or two of protests, where they would say, you know, I know there's so much that needs to be fixed. I am looking introspectively to see if it needs to be with me on any level. Um, And change is always great. And I hope all of this is not for nothing, you know, and I love that we kind of, we don't know what it means, but that, you know, nobody was wanting to like sweep this under the rug and move on and let it happen in 30 years again. Good, good, good. That's great. You know, not that anyone had any answers. It was just like, this can't be for nothing this time. And, um, you know, so many of them. There, there's a few that were around during the riots in '92, but for a lot of them, they, you know, they haven't been on the job that long. They're certainly not still working front lines after if you've been on the job that long. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was really quite a unique experience to be able to have those shared experiences with them in the therapy room. Yeah. Do you see us? Do you see like we do with just talking about you know the the sense of acceptance that a lot of younger generational kids seem to have with, you know, bisexuality or uh, being more open about mental illness, like things that seem like they're loosening up. Do you see that reflected in law enforcement as well with younger generations coming in where there's like kind of a, there's already an existent like, Oh God. A sense of, no, no, I'm not the old guard. I'm not the old guard. I'm 22. I have very progressive ideas. Okay, cool. Very much so. Um, The way in which I noticed it, you know, three and a half, four years ago was that (laughs) you hear, you hear all the training officers complain about millennials because, oh, the way we have to train them and they ask so (laughs) many questions and they ask why, (laughs) and you're just supposed to do it. And, you know, and, and then, I was starting to see them come into therapy voluntarily and they come in when their problem is small, not mm. when it's 30 years yeah. worth of trauma and three divorces and yeah. big. Yeah. <laughs> and they're coming in without the stigma and they're like, first of all, 
this is LA. Like all of my friends go to therapy. Nice. <laughs> no big deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, the, the shift, um, it, uh, obviously I think being metropolitan, being in Los Angeles is one thing. Um, but just generationally, they're like, yeah. And, and I mean, like the buffest, most, you know, macho dude coming in for a problem and wanted to talk it out. Yeah. You know, this isn't just like, you know, a, a, a wafy female officer right. saying right. like, oh, I love therapy. You know, these all across the board. Crazy. So I love it. I'm Anytime I hear someone complain about millennials, I'm like, I'm sorry, that's your problem. You got to figure out how to train them. But I love them because yeah. they're going to be healthier overall. Oh, that's so good run. to hear. What yeah. was your what was your high school experience like? Did you go to a, like a big public high school? Did you go? Where'd you go? I went to famously San Dimas High School, home of Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in San Dimas, which is a um, suburb of L.A., more towards out Pasadena, um, a little past that. But yeah, public high school, um, lived in the same city from when I was about eight years old up until I graduated and um, all through college. But yeah, I went to... Sandy Mess High School, which is, um, I could meet people from anywhere in the country and they would be like, Bill and Ted. <laughs> like, yes, we do have a Circle K. We do have Raging Waters. Those things all exist. <laughs> and were you, and, and is there a sense of like, uh-oh, you're, you're, you're the cops kid. Like, were people interested in that and, and intrigued by that or intimidated by that when you were a teen? No, I I don't think they were too intrigued or intimidated. I think it was just kind of like, oh, okay, like we know why Shiloh might have to dip out if we're going to go do something a little bit more. (laughs) Rob a circle, okay. Crazy, right? Rob a a circle, okay. Yeah, right. Um, So it felt nice because being a fairly good kid, I I, I would generally make pretty good choices but it also felt like kind of an out like people knew my parents were cops so it was right like, right sorry guys um <laughs> you know <laughs> what about with dating uh, was there like a oh your dad's a cop oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you know I had the same boyfriend from like sophomore on and off through our senior year um no the more old high school marriage some... yeah basically yeah. um but yeah, it it just kind of was never really a thing. Um, you know, of course, I do remember my dad being like, when you start dating, when they come to the door, yes, I'll be cleaning my gun. And I'm like, that is so <laughs> awful. Like, so awful. I'm sure it's awful for these guys anyway to meet a parent. And then really, and of course, he never was. Like, right. that's not a thing they actually do in real life. It's just... <laughs> Threatening violence to boys is also not something I'm super into, uh-huh. even if you're a parent. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And what about like sports and and uh, was there were you a good student? Did you enjoy school? I love school. Um, like I said, still do pretty um, like above average, mostly A's and B's. Um, I played basketball. I was awful at basketball, but I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. Are you tall? Um, no, I'm five five. Okay, I can't so, tell you. You realize when you—that's the crazy thing about the pandemic too—is like, boy, I, know, I just right? have no idea how tall or not tall anyone <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, I can comment on your chair. You can comment on my tattoos. Like, if you had told like, me you were six two, I'd be like, "Yep, 
Like I, there's, a, <laughs> no. I would believe any height. I would believe any height. Not at all. Um, but I, I just, I love basketball and I played my lot. Did I play three years? Yeah. I played sophomore, junior and senior. Um, loved all of the girls that I played with. My sister and I were on the team together for a little bit, but I was, I was such a hot mess that like my coach would kind of just put me in to be the person that would foul. And then like, if I fouled out like, oh, well, cause I was sort of dispensable. <laughs> we need to shake things up a little bit. Shall I look yeah, in I'm there like, and trip on something? Yeah, put me in, put me in. Um, but yeah, we, we were, uh, just, it was, it was a lot of fun, but I also, I was a dancer from gosh, like elementary school. Um, and then we, so we had, we had cheerleaders and then we had song leaders in high school and the song leaders were the dance team. Okay. So, um, we couldn't, you couldn't be a part of that until you were a junior. So I just waited. And then in my junior year, I, I made the song team and it, it was with basically girls that I had grown up sort of dancing with in the city, uh, previously. And I, I was like the token white girl on the dance team. It was me and all Asian, black and Hispanic girls. I don't know how that happened, but you know, it was me and them and usually got plopped in the middle because I don't know, I even things out, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy though. Cause we, we would cheer at games still. So during basketball season, I would play my game and then have to go change into my cheer uniform to then cheer Whoa. for the guys game that came okay. after. So it was a very busy, no kidding, busy time in during, especially that season. Yeah. And did but you have, was a blast. did you have, um, you know, uh, did you have an awareness of your interest in people and kind of what made them tick? Like, were you a curious person as a teenager in that way? I I don't know that I had that awareness. I know that, and I know a lot of people say this, but I legitimately feel like I could really morph into any of the crowds. So, mm. you know, I didn't feel like a cheerleader per se and like that sort of cookie cutter way. You know, these were just girls that I danced with and we all loved to dance. We all loved to choreograph and we'd known each other for so long. Um, but yeah, did that sort of overlap with activities and like the jock crowd? Yes. But then I also was involved in student government and also in drama. My best friend, you know, she was, it wanted nothing more to be an actress and, and she's done some of that. She's a casting agent now and went to college for, for acting. And so that's a funny crossover know, with Scott. Eh? Yeah, you didn't, that right? was not, I mean, that's just like a random no. coincidence because you guys met yeah. something totally different. That's funny. Oh, totally. And and Scott was a, a professional dancer yeah. um, for much of his life, which is just so, so funny. But but yeah, you know, I really thought I could kind of, I, I could gel with a lot of different um, sort of crowds and, and genuinely. And um, so I, I, I don't think I was necessarily super aware of it at the time, but I do kind of think that that is sort of my superpower still and and probably what helps in in my work because I can sit down and build a rapport with a parolee who just got out of prison and is being forced to go to therapy or you know someone who's coming to me in their my private practice who has you know a much different problem per se so it helps it, it I mean being a police officer also helped too because you have to just be able to gab and talk to people 
whether they're living in a trailer park or a multi-million dollar mansion, which the city sure. I worked in was like that. Yeah. Um, and so people are <laughs> on both ends of those spectrums can be talking down to you in their different ways. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. God, that's well put. That makes absolute sense. Um, this is... <laughs> do, does your countenance change? Does your speech, do your speech patterns change? Like, you know what I mean? Do you, do you find yourself kind of being chameleonic, if that's a word? Um, oh, or totally. are you, you are, yeah. I mean, that's kind totally. of the mirror neuron thing, I think is probably a big deal for all kinds of walks of life, obviously, like Absolutely. acting, but, you know, doing something like that where you can reflect back a sense of something that makes someone feel familiar and safe you know, without it being like an impersonation of the situation that you're in. But like that, I mean, I think that's right. And especially if it happens naturally, I, that I think people pick up on, you know, if you're like, I'm going to do an affectation because you are talking like this or you, but I think if it is something that is that kind of mirror neuron situation where you're just naturally adapting to the situation and reading the other person and, you know, then that's got to be hugely valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think that was something that that came naturally, you know, growing up and probably in, in high school years, but then again, had to sort of be fine-tuned in my professions because a 5'5 five, five female, I am going to have to use words and um, have that gift of gab when I'm talking to people as a police officer because it's not like I can just pick them up and throw them on the ground if things go sideways. So for me to be able to de-escalate people and calm people down by connecting with them for my safety as well as theirs and it just not having to get out of hand um, was much different than, you know, a lot of officers I worked side by side with, male officers who, you know, just the command presence was one mode and that's all they had. And, you know, people generally followed that and things were fine, but you can see how that quickly could escalate with somebody who doesn't give a shit that right. day. Right. And I knew that, you know, we worked single man cars that if I was calling for backup, you know, I didn't have a partner with me that every single time hmm. and it would take a while to get back up there. So oh. definitely, um, you know, it got to the point where people, other officers could be handling a situation and they'd come over the radio and be like, um, hey, Shiloh, so-and-so wants to talk to you. Can you come calm him down? And then that, that happened a few times because I would take the time to talk to people. And I, I think that's eventually what, you know, I, I didn't intend on being a psychologist either. There's all these things I intend not to do that I end up doing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> taking the time to be able to, to just hear people out, um, sometimes that's all they need. So Yeah. What was the thing... Yeah. What, with the FBI, when did that sort of reach its natural end for you in terms of like, okay, you know what, I'm going to do this Yeah, so I, so I got hired as the officer, um, and then about a year into that, I thought, you know what, I should go get my doctorate because the FBI can't turn me down if I have a doctorate. <laughs> so again, it was just this idea to go to school, get um, my degree in forensic psychology, and uh, crazily, I, I started that program like the year that I got married and um, would work weekend nights doing patrol. And then I would go to grad school during the week. And um, when it came to the end of grad school, my last internship where I met Dr. Scott, um, 
I was processing with the FBI, so I was following through with them, and they had given me a conditional job offer, and then where we were interning offered me a job upon graduation. And I kind of had this moment, like this crossroads of, God, I really don't want to go to another academy, for Mm -hmm. one, and the FBI can literally just send you anywhere, and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be stuck in Detroit or, you know, (laughs) I didn't have kids yet, so it was like, it was. It would have been just uprooting my husband, but he was working in law enforcement, and um, it was still. I loved what I was doing. It's when I was working with offenders coming out of prison. I thought, yeah, I, I can do this yeah. instead. And and this is a super generic question, but um, why? What? Why, what was it uh, doing for you? Like, what was it sort of activating in you that felt, if you if you can, that felt like did you feel like you were impacting kind of society in a in a bigger way? What was- um, you know, at first I got into I, I started my my you do like a series of internships when you're in grad school for psychology and my first one was was in the same thing, working with sexual offenders that are getting out of prison and you know, I'm still in the mindset of okay, I'm staying in law enforcement. I just want to sit in a room with these guys and see what they have to say. Like just mm. total observer curious as hell, let's hear it. And um, I think by the time I was graduating, that morphed into, oh, okay, I'm actually pretty, I still have that curiosity about me, but I've channeled that now into psychological assessment, where I can sit down with this person for four hours, learn everything about them, apply all of the tools, whether I'm measuring personality or intelligence or risk for future reoffense. And then, you know, I don't have to see them again. <laughs> you know, I, I spend this deep, you know, time with them, learning everything about them. And then after the assessment, the assessment's done. Um, I really liked that. It felt like a puzzle. It felt investigative mm-hmm. still. That's what I was going to say. And then I was like, oh, I hope it's not rude to say puzzle. No, that, no, I don't want to no, diminish no, no. it, but abs- that totally no. makes sense to me. Um, and, and then it just, it morphed as I started doing group therapy. That was really where I felt like, like that was my jam. Like I loved group therapy, um, sitting in a room with nine parolees. When I would tell the officers I worked with, like that's what I was doing at my internship there, it like it blew their mind because you would never even search a parolee on the street by yourself. Like, and they're like, you're sitting in a room with like nine of them. And I'm like, yes, but they don't see me as a cop. I'm I'm a psychologist in training. Like it's so different. Right. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And, um, and, and I just, I loved group therapy and to be able to go, Oh, okay. So if someone really grasps this concept, I can apply this to this risk assessment where it actually lowers their risk of reoffending because they have now, um, learned this and are applying it in their real life. So it felt, it, it you know, without sounding cheesy, it did feel like it was making impact or a difference, um, even though it's not 100%. And that's the scary thing is like they could create another victim. Right. But this is the system we have, unless we're just locking them up forever. Right. right. And that's certainly not the answer. There, there has to be, um, you know, some systematic way to give them the best evidence and science-based treatment yeah and so that's when I I really like started switching from like just the observer to to more of um wanting to know the the science behind it too and really diving more into research so yeah 
When you were a teenager, how much of your parents, like your mom's job before she had, you know, your daughter, your daughter, before she had your little sister um, and your dad's job, like how much of that was stuff that was shared with you? Or was it just kind of in the background? Like this is what my mom used to do. This is what my dad does. But it, but were you getting a strong sense of what that really meant and what it meant for them emotionally and, and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think so. Just you know, I mean, I kind of joke that I grew up in a police station because you you go to work with mom, you go to work with dad every once in a while. Even if they're just like, hey, come on, we got to go pick something up from the station. Sure. You're there. Um, my sister and I got in big trouble one time when my stepdad was um, home with us and my mom was working. I think she was actually pregnant with my my sister because she was working the desk. She was like dispatching because she was pregnant. And he took us and just like dropped us off the station. He's like, here, your mom can watch you while she's at work. <laughs> so we're like no under problem. the dispatch table, you know, playing dolls or something, whatever, because <laughs> basically he was like done with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it was like ingrained in that way, but also, yeah, around the dinner table, like it was kind of the story of what happened the day, that day, um, it, at an age-appropriate level, right? of course, <laughs> right. you know. Um, ah. So I always wonder about that with my own daughter. I'm like, oh, is this age-appropriate to mm-hmm. say or to think? And, um, you know, I just have one one child, so I feel like she's the third adult living in our home. Um, sure, I get that. But it's it's a constant – she'll come – I'm surprised she doesn't come in right now and go, are you, are you watching one of your murder stories again, you know? <laughs> Mom, why do you always listen to that stuff about murder? I'm like, I know. And she's eight. She's eight. So. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it was kind of just always there. It was never pushed on me to follow that line of work. Yeah. Um, I could see the utter horror on my dad's face when I told him I was applying to be an actual oh, police officer. Okay. Um, my mom didn't say too much, you know, it, it, not that they weren't supportive. I could just right. see the like, oh, sure. Ugh, you know, because it, they weren't sharing with me um, mm. uh, all the awful stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that a lot now. I actually would have like, and maybe they didn't, maybe I'm not giving them, maybe it's not fair to say, you know, for cops in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they weren't talking about trauma. They weren't right. talking about how that would impact them. So, you know, sometimes I think, well, why didn't they warn me about that stuff? But also uh, they didn't even know how to talk about it, I think, amongst each other. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a relationship. (laughs) Yeah. But I wonder if there's a relationship between your interest and in leaning so deeply into that side of the field. Like, I wonder if that's a coincidence or if there's a relationship between having a sense of what they did and that not being discussed and then you discovering on your own how much of that was really in play. And and I, I mean, I wonder that because because it becomes your own, right? right that you own right. this in a way that is so unique to you, even with this law enforcement background in your family, you know, here's this thing that is very much something that you're exploring in a way that that you know you did not see your family exploring yeah i mean the the three of them all are so well adjusted for the combined number of years that they have on the job and the experiences they've had um you know i i don't think that i was even thinking of that at a certain time probably not until I got into my own officer-involved shootings and 
you know, definitely, I mean, they both count as a traumatic incident, but the second one definitely more so than the first. Um, and there was a lot more, um, you know, sort of stress symptoms that followed with my second one. And, um, you know, I never, we never really related to each other about, oh, okay, I had an experience that impacted me this way or anything like that. But I was also, I, I shoved my emotions down as well as a cop. And, um, you know, I didn't want my parents thinking that I wasn't okay. Oh, either. sure. So, sure, sure. Um, you know, no need for them to worry about me. Right, right. <laughs> Did you? They're worrying uh, enough. Yeah, well. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. If you start to get a sense of, oh, this is what they were taking on. This was the stuff that, you know, they were working with. And now right. I'm potentially piling on by by being like, and now your daughter who is like, you know, totally now I've, I've merged your professional life with your personal life by being your daughter yep. and becoming a cop. Now you get to like have that all swirling in one big stew. Yes. Even more helpless as a right. parent of an adult right. who chooses right. this line of work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I bet um, they were, I, I can't imagine how happy were they were the day I resigned and said, I'm going to be a psychologist. <laughs> the horror lifts from your dad's face for right? the first time. Hey, I know. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> um, what was the story that you were, that you had mentioned when we were setting this up? You said that there was a little uh, kind of fun crossing over of yeah. maybe you getting in trouble when you had to. I mean, this is this is kind of like the tattoo thing. People were like, oh, my God, I would never think. Um, but, yeah, when I was 17, I got arrested. Not the proudest day of my life. Not, oh, God. With cops as parents, I mean, talking about the experience, this, this was the worst. <laughs> the worst <laughs> um, type of disappointment, I think, that could happen. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so, uh, did you have senior ditch day in oh, high school? Oh, absolutely. And by the way, right? my dad was my senior honors English teacher. Oh, dear so God. So, there's like a weird <laughs> parallel because yes. for me, senior ditch day was also <laughs> equally an embarrassment because my dad was like, seriously, I, Janet? Seriously. Like, you're like, Dad, ugh. you know it's just going to happen. Just yeah, expect it. I was like, it, okay? I, I got to do it. I don't feel, I, look, I don't feel any better about it than you do, Dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's killing us both. Yeah. So for senior ditch day, we were going to go snowboarding. And um, my boyfriend and I were, uh, he was more of a snowboarder than I was, but I was definitely starting to, to venture into that. And it sounded great. And so my myself, my boyfriend, and then my best friend, the, the, um, actress that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go to the West Covina mall and shoplift oh a bunch God. of stuff for senior ditch day, like you snowboarding gear from JCPenney's. You had Penny's. to pile on. It couldn't just be that you were ditching. It had to be like, how bad can we be on senior right. ditch day? So the night before senior ditch day, um, I mean, we had to go get our snow gear, right? Oh. No, no, of course not. But um, so we, we, <laughs> she drives... Um, we go to JCPenney's and obviously we're not very good at it because we get caught quite early, which oh, is a good God. thing because you yeah. want to be caught with the least amount as possible. So it doesn't end up Agreed. being a felony. Agreed. Um, but essentially she and I in these, you know, we brought our own bags, empty bags, <laughs> um, to just load up. 
And my boyfriend had so much stuff shoved in his bag already. Like, I don't even know. And and (laughs) Gina and I each had a pair of underwear in our bags. Like, okay, let's just let's just pick something small and like put it in and like just get that part over with. Right, right, right. And we were, God, you think about like the undeveloped teenage brain. And I tell my clients now, I'm like, their frontal lobe is not fully developed. Like literally they cannot conceptualize risk and consequences. And this is what I think back to because I remember we were laughing because we saw a security camera and we're like, it can't be real. No one's really watching that. And then we like laughed and like waved at it. Why? <laughs> it can't be real. Why? Why wouldn't it be teenagers? <laughs> so I I don't know oh if we were God. going to a different store, but essentially we get on the escalator to go down from the second level, and just there is loss prevention officers surrounding the bottom. So there's oh nowhere God. to go. Not yeah. that I would have ran anyway. Right. Right. Um. But there's just like literally nowhere to go. They handcuff us at the bottom of the escalator and then straight into um, the cuffs even straight into the cuffs and immediately gina just starts crying and she does not stop crying for four hours like just she is such a good girl religious family college professors for parents like just waterworks for four hours straight i don't know how it's physically possible i very quickly gonna say uh, as crazy as this sounds, I also was caught shoplifting. Of and course I, you were, because that's what we did. And I and I was the one. I also, I'm really loving Gina. I'm loving this Gina She's person. She's amazing. You'd love her. Uh, I also, like, could not have been prepared for how fast I started crying. Like, oh and, it, and it, it, my, it was not, it was definitely not like a ploy. It was not a tactic. I wish I were right, that good. Right. I cannot cry like that. It was just like. The, the flips, you know, of the switch and just being right. totally just destroyed for hours. <laughs> I, I And I was like, oh, my God, my fragile Gina, like, I should have protected her more. And my mind went into, like, full-on problem-solving mode because I knew I was going to be murdered by my parents. So I was like, okay. how can I still get out of this? Yes, and yes. they put us in cuffs. They put us into, like, a little holding area and then um, – West Covina PD comes and picks us up and takes us back to the station. So I remember, you know, they they pull us sort of one by one and they're taking our information down. And the cop's like, okay, so um, I need your mom's name. And okay, what does she do? And I'm like, retired deputy sheriff. And he just like glances up at me. Uh, He's like, okay, your dad's name? And what does he do? Oh, God. Retired deputy sheriff, or no, he was still working at the time. Deputy sheriff, and he just <laughs> this black officer. He looks at me and goes, "You're having fun when you go home tonight, aren't you?" And I was like, "Please just kill me! <laughs> I don't want to go so, home. Can I come live I with you know. now?" I know. So we even tried. My boyfriend's dad was <laughs> just he. He also had the same premonition of being murdered by his father and her his mother they were divorced he, she was very sweet and i said what if we say we're cousins and your mom can just pick us both up uh-huh good <laughs> like thinking like that was our problem solving our thing you know cuz we are so smart we can outsmart the cops <laughs> um and so they didn't fall for that and they were like nope your parents are coming Ugh. and i it, my i remember we could hear my 
boyfriend's dad's dually truck engine entering the parking garage and he like his face just went white as a ghost i think he was the first to leave and then um my mom picked me up and i just remember she was just like are you on drugs you know (laughs) she couldn't conceptualize that like this is something that was literally happening with sound mind and um, and then Gina's dad picked her up and I just, <laughs> I remember her telling me that he was just looked at her, you know, they're just such good people. And he was like, real swift, Gina, real swift. <laughs> so we would say that swift. to each other for years afterwards. Real swift. <laughs> like it's the most pure like, thing to say. It's yeah. so cute. <laughs> real swift. Um, but of course, all of our parents like forbade us to like see each other, talk to each other at school the next day. Mm. And no one was at school except for us because it was senior ditch day. But here we were on like lockdown. That's right. So this is all even pre-senior ditch. Okay. Yeah. Night before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we, so they tried us all together. It actually combined with my boyfriend who had all that stuff. It was over $400, which used to be the limit. For were you all over theft. 18? Were you all 18 or No, over? we were all 17. Juvies. Okay. Juvies. So they they actually tried us together, so they combined the amount so none of us would be charged with felonies, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, And so we all had to go see the judge together. And then the punishment was either you could pay a fine to the court or you could do community service. And my boyfriend and Gina's parents, they paid the fine, and my mom said, "Uh -uh, Mm uh-uh, you are doing community service. Mm -hmm. And it was awful um it's the first time i ever saw rock cocaine when one other minor was selling it to another minor during community service there were 14 year olds smoking marble reds um it was it was very eye-opening they thought i was a volunteer they were like you're wait you're not you're a volunteer right and i'm like (laughs) no (laughs) i was like the most wholesome person and (laughs) there i was painting buildings and picking up trash and how long did you have to do it how long did and it was like a miscellaneous stuff like today you're gonna be doing this yeah it was like every duty yeah like every saturday you get there at like eight in the morning i don't i think i had to do like 30 hours or something mm-hmm. but and my mom says to this day that every day she dropped me off she cried on the way home like Aww. dropping me off and I'm like yeah right <laughs> no I totally I'm believe sorry her. I totally you believe her. had to go through that mom <laughs> right right but it was an experience um and then he, it again let's let's talk about why teenagers are so stupid so Gina and I we have the same birthday we're both born on May 31st about 20 minutes apart. Wow. We said that the night before our 18th birthday, we went and shoplifted one thing because that's the daredevils that we are. After all of this happened. You got to use it as bragging rights. Morons we are. Like, oh, God, such idiots. We, we, I still remember we stole a pair of, a pair of board shorts oh, from a God. skate shop. Oh, I didn't get, I didn't get arrested. They gave us, they, they, in fact, that was the, hard part is I'm sure I've told the story before on the podcast but um is that they gave each it was my friend Aaron and me and they gave our parents the choice and my dad was like ugh, no don't put you know like this is this is awful but don't put her through the paces like no and then my friend Aaron's mom was like yep 
take her away <laughs> which was like oh no like that did That's not awful. do great for our friendship and it there was no control over it but obviously I would love to say I was the kind of kid that was gonna be like well if she's going then I'm going <laughs> right I definitely she's not didn't. taking the fall I was for like, me cool 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 I'm really sorry this is happening to you goodbye I'm going back to my own bed <laughs> like oh my gosh yeah were oh. you underage I was I think you I had was, to be right I was yeah. probably 14 or 15 um and what what store did you get busted at it was like a it was either um uh like a Rite Aid or something like that oh, where right, you know right, they have right. mirrors the tilted mirrors yes. all the way around the store yes. and like the second floor where the manager's office is behind some of that like two-sided glass or one-sided glass whatever and yeah I mean it was it was oh uh, my gosh and we were and we and I had put my stuff which was again it was like a chapstick and like a dumb necklace or something it was just like a bored child with you know right. and I had and right. I was walk. I mean this is so I had taken my shoes off and was walking barefoot in the drugstore, dropping things into my shoes. <laughs> at like, least I brought my own bag. Attention. <laughs> I know, at least you brought your own bag. You were way ahead of the recycling movement. You were coming uh, in with your own shopping yes. bags. Thank you. <laughs> You're so <Yes>. welcome. No. <laughs> You're so welcome. I oh my up, god! I applaud you. I salute you for your forethought. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and it was interesting because when I when I went to put in to be the police cadet when I was in college, um, yeah, you know, does that it's, stuff it's, show up where they're like, it's you the same got a thing on your record. Well, it was interesting because um, so it, it's very similar to the way a police officer gets hired. You know, we did a written test. And then you do an, an oral interview with a board. And I think, if my memory serves me correctly, I think they asked in the oral board, is there anything in your background that could be problematic or disqualify you? And in that moment, right away, you know, wanting to impress, I said no. Ah. And it actually worked out to my advantage because I think I was like third on the list. And so they hired two people from the list above me. And then it was like six or seven months later that they came to me and were like, okay, we have another opening. Hmm. And I knew that's when my background investigation was going to start. Okay. So I, I actually went into the lieutenant that was in charge of hiring and I wrote out, I like typed up a Word document about my arrest and exactly what happened. And I made an appointment with him and I went in and I said, I have to let you know that this is part of my background. And thank God it worked out that way because, you know, he wasn't like, well, then why'd you lie in your interview? If it had been right after, right. I oh, think they yeah. would have been like, get out of here for yeah, lying. Yeah. Um, but it was just a, it was just a gut reaction. It just came out where I said no. And I, so I gave it to him and he said, okay, I'll show the chief. And the chief basically said, we think you're great. We really want to hire you. I just want you to go get this formally expunged through the courts and you're good to go. Few so, more days of community service with some teenagers. Right. A little oh, bit God. of rock cocaine. You're going to be cleared to go. Yeah, it'll be fine. Oh, it'll be fine. See, I feel so, like yeah. I would have blurted out. I would have blurted it out. Like I would have, I, I would have been like, oh, the only the fact that I tried to shoplift. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't even be here. Let me get, I'm, I'll see my, I'll see myself out. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Collapsed. It's so weird. I mean, it just, the choices we make and the way things work out sometimes are so crazy because, yeah, then I got that job, but then I became a police officer. And not, you know, after 17 years old, I was squeaky clean. Yeah. 
But, um, you know, it, if, if I had not been hired because of that at 17, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would be doing or where my interests um, would be. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think back on just how things fall into place sometimes. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors and... Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor and I'm a medical enthusiast and we create Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine. Because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. You know, I like to play this mash, this game of mash at the end of my episode. And this will give us a chance to see like the peek into maybe what Shiloh would have done in an alternate universe if you had ended up in a different career. So why don't we um, why don't we bust into that and we can kind of make that our first category. Like and I like to say it again. This is all positive, all like rainbows and puppies. Um, You don't have to. So so like whatever sounds fun about a job, just imagine that there's no downside. You don't have to like process through like all the stuff that right. would probably end up being like, oh yeah, it's still a real job. Like I have to do all this. We're going to just tear all of that away. So three things. So yeah, yeah. let's, let's go with, um, let's go with the, the old dream of FBI agent. And Great. very much in my head, I was like, I'm going to be an FBI agent. I'm going to be single. I'm going to have a boyfriend in every state Whoa. and you know, no kids <laughs> that like my career is just going to be it. Part of your like, plan. <laughs> That was part of my plan. I also never wanted to get married or have kids, mind you. <laughs> my parents have been married and divorced so many times that the institution of marriage was a huge joke to me. Mm. I was just like, career, career, career. Yeah. So let's go with that. Okay, great. <laughs> FBI, love it. Um, let's go with forensic anthropologist. Great. That's like my dream hard science job. And just for people who don't know, what what do you mean by forensic anthropologist? Um, so they do a number of things. So anywhere where sort of the legal system and anthropology would overlap. So it could be um, determining how old a body that's dug up is, um, a cause of death perhaps, uh, anything culturally relevant about bones <laughs> um i in in undergrad i went with a cultural anthropologist who she was one of the top ones in the state and she recruited us criminal justice students to go out to the desert kind of right before you get to palm springs mm-hmm. and the summer before they had found a headless body mm. out there like kind of looked like a a mob hit of some sort and sure. she took us all out to go search for the head the next 
um, after the rainy season. We did not find wow. it, but we were super excited we might find a head in the desert. <laughs> She's like, that's why I bring you weirdo criminal justice students, because you're free labor and oh you love God. it. Oh, my God. Is there any uh, medicine? Like, is there any stuff that you would need to do, like biology or like pre-med or anything like that for that kind of job? I mean, again, now I'm getting into like the, the weeds with it a little bit, but that's just I'm not sure. my curiosity. Like, if you found a head, sure. like yeah. the idea somehow that you would find a head without having like examined ahead before somehow seems like whoa what a what a dip into the deep end quickly right yeah I I don't know exactly the training for forensic anthropology is but guess what you will have had it you will just had it exactly snap of your fingers by magic if we do this okay what's number three number three is um so my husband and I used to fantasize that we could be like a hit man and hit woman team awesome so let's go with hit woman awesome (laughs) We're like For, we could leave our jobs and do this, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, in your professional opinion, how many hit people? Like, how common of a job is that? I mean, Hollywood would have you think that like every other person is like a killer for hire. I but know, it, they and do I feel exist. like they're always like the dumbass guy that gets offered like two grand. That's like, right. okay, I'll do it. But right. like professionals, yeah, I don't know. That's hard to say because I think it's the spectrum. I think there's probably professional hit people that literally work for the government yeah like where it is their job to do that yeah um but professional hit people that are like just get contacted to do those i don't know i don't know (laughs) Uh, i'm thinking mr and mrs smith style i know that's exact that was a listen if ever there was a taut sexy thriller which i feel like every thriller is a taut sexy thriller by in terms of what the critics say but that really is a taut and sexy thriller yeah, yeah it just is okay uh next category let's do three places in the world that you would love to have a second home even if you've never been there okay three places in and we'll world. teleport you there so you don't have to worry about like ugh, sure. the slog of getting there um port douglas australia Great. it's like a little beachy town in queensland australia um i really love the desert um as well so i'm just gonna say palm springs because i love palm springs it's always been my dream to have a home out there terrific and let's go with a nice little country home in bruges belgium and then i'll just go there during christmas time oh i love it i've never been to bruges (laughs) and i i i hate that i've never been to bruges it's amazing I mean, that's the kind of stuff like those immersive places where you really are like, what have I stepped into this, that, that, that fairy time? I mean, that's just, yeah, I can't get enough of yeah. it. Um, okay. Next category. Let's do, let, well, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. Let's Uh-oh. do three mysteries that you would like to suddenly have the answers to. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. My holy grail is John Bonet. Great. So we're going with John Bonet. Do you um, have your own theory that you think is most likely? Do you subscribe to the, it was her, possibly her, or do you not want to speak ill of someone without? No, 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 no. Um, I, I've probably studied this case since, let's see, it happened in 96. That's the year I graduated high school, so I wasn't super, like, cognizant in it. But I probably studied it very closely for 20 years now. Wow. And I'm still as confused as, like, day one. Like, still as on the fence as day one. Oh, wow. 
So um, I didn't know anything about it at all, really, until like I heard on someone's podcast like their theory of it and it was right i'm sure well this will not surprise you and you can probably imagine who it was they were so sure and so clear that they made it sound like any other possibility was stupid as hell you know what i mean it was <laughs> Don't like even it's think it. yeah. so clearly this that anybody who thinks they could come up with a different idea is absolutely wrong that i was like oh i guess that must be it then like you know i just was like that right. sounds like it makes sense well you know and scott and i talk about this so much about how people react in trauma and you know when people talk about john Bonet's parents and their reactions and their behaviors and you cannot go on that. Like, I don't know how many times we have to stress mm-hmm. that. And I love to play victim or victim, not victim's advocate, <laughs> devil's advocate. That's a different thing. <laughs> and say, like, what if they did not do it? Right. How awful yeah. have we treated them as, you know, media and yeah, news yeah. and consumers? Yeah. How terrible would yeah. that be if you could just conceptualize that they actually didn't do it? Yeah. Um, because, sure, of course, like most people go with that. Yeah. But, Anyway, um, so John Bonet, I think I would also go with Elisa Lamb. And she's the one, I, she comes up a lot and I can't, I'm just trying to remember. Is she the one that was, a, was she up on a cliff's edge or something like that? No, she's no? the one that was in the water tank on top of the oh, Cecil Hotel. Oh, that one. That's so, oh, but that's very LA, not so confidential, not to right. turn it into it. But that's a real like Hollywood strange place strange situation yeah Yeah, that's a really interesting one yeah definitely I think it's just so um you know I do have my theory though I think she did you know it was uh, a a bit of a a psychotic break with her mental health challenges yeah um and I think it's possible that she just ended up there yeah um but let's stick with sort of the LA noir theme and go with Black Dahlia great what do you think about the um Steve Hodel, it was definitely my father, uh, lore. Steve and I are friends. Um, I think it's incredibly convincing with the legitimate evidence that he has. Yeah. Um, you know, so much so that he, he actually, he gave me a copy of the, the packaging he did with all the evidence for the DA that he took to the DA like 10 years ago. Yeah. And the DA said, you know, if your dad was alive, I would file charges yeah. today. Um, so I think there's definitely enough to file charges. I think it's completely possible. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's as far-fetched as, as people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was, I would, yeah, some of the stuff that he went on to say, it was like, it right, started to feel right. like, wait, no, stop, pull back, because this maybe is going to just sort of like yeah. tangle up with all these like very compelling, you know, reasons and evidence that, uh, you know, because right. I, that's, and I feel it, the same way. I was like, I, there, why wouldn't it be his dad? Like, there's no, it doesn't seem far-fetched at all. It seems like this, this is exactly no. <laughs> who it would be. Like, why? Yeah. It, yeah. And, and he and I have had those conversations over lunch, like, if it's not your dad and he's like, great, then I would love for him to be ruled out yeah. and, and proven wrong. And yeah. and so, um, you know, he's not making a gazillion dollars on his books or anything. Right. It's not like that's the motivation there. And, yeah. and I think to be able to personally connect with him and hear that, um, it, it 
it's nice to have that that outlook. And um, I would just love to see it solved in Steve Hodel's time. Yeah. Well, that's the Um, thing is that talk about something that, you know, if you have a, a meticulous brain and if you've been trained to solve those kinds of puzzles, to mm-hmm. then have this all unfurl for you and then have people constantly say, no, it's not enough. I feel right. like I would spin out. I would be like, uh, what do I need to do? Like, what do, you know, I don't know what that would do to my brain because it would feel so frustrating. Yeah, yeah Oof, for sure. Him. For sure. Bless him. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. Black Dahlia. Perfect. Okay, next one. Huge 90 degree turn, 180 degree turn. I'm not sure. We're turning. It, three foods that you can have in perpetuity, snap of your fingers. There's nothing bad about the environment, nothing dietarily bad. You can just have it okay, good. whenever you want it in perpetuity. Three. Mm. So I'm pescatarian, so I got to definitely break that. It's only been a year. Um, good for you. Let's go with um, a nice bowl of pork ramen nice. from Daikakuya nice. downtown. Very strong opening. Strong opening yeah. in this category. <laughs> um, have you ever had that butterscotch budino from Pizza Moza? The dessert. Does it have gluten in it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Then no. I'm going to go with the butterscotch budino. Great. From Moza. And how do you go wrong with breakfast burritos? I could just eat oh. them all day, every day. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Let's go with a nice um, breakfast burrito. This, the hardest thing about a breakfast burrito is I always want to be able to eat the whole thing and it's unless it's like a cute little craft service like early morning craft you know like yeah. breakfast burrito. But like in san francisco you go to get a breakfast burrito you're getting like five burritos in one and oh, it's yeah. so good that i'm sad you're when like I'm this full. like carrying it out yeah, like a child you're like this is my baby yeah. i'm like no i don't want to be done i still want to eat more damn you burrito <laughs> breakfast but burrito. breakfast burritos hold up pretty well True. Unless, you know, I, I love to have avocado in mine, but, you know, to put it in the fridge and have it for lunch, oh, no, it's you're pretty right. good. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And it can really be picked apart and then made into something else if you want to, like, throw yep. it in a pan. Suddenly, it's just some scrambled eggs a couple days later. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay, great. Uh, okay, next category, let's do... Ooh, I do want to kind of get some more L.A. stuff in here. How about mm. three eras? Like, how about three sort of like, this is what's going on in this time frame in the kind of Southern California area. Like, what would it be cool to get to in a little Ooh. safe time travel bubble? Get to see. Like, I every time I live yeah. near Beachwood Canyon and every and I go over there all the time just because it's so funky and it's got so many layers of history like that's, I would want to go back to like, you know, Humphrey Bogart living in that one house right. like when the Hollywood sign was just built, like that kind of stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, Let's go like peak Manson cult time. Yes, so, indeed. That's definitely another one. You know, what are we talking? Late 60s? Yeah. Because that was the quote unquote end of the 60s. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um. So when the when the home still existed on Cielo Drive. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, this is going to sound weird and stupid to everybody, but um, 
uh, my favorite kind of music is EDM, but I would love to like when like, um, <laughs> like when all the raves started happening sort of in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. So early 90s, Great. I'm guessing, just to see what that was like and when when it all started, when it was here before it sort of moved to the desert and yes. Vegas and yes. outskirts. Yeah. <laughs> but I would love to know what that culturally sort of what the feel was. That doesn't sound um, dumb at all. Be a part of Okay, okay. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think I would love to see sort of classic, like around the time of Black Dahlia. Um, just because what I find so fascinating about that time is is the the journalists and like how they would be on scene before even the police yeah. and how journalism was such a driving force in true crime at the time um, where they had their sources and they had their, you know, um, their police scanners and radios and were yeah. just in it in that, in that time period. So it's, it's a very crimey answer, but. Uh, no, it's a great um, answer. So though. yeah, I, mean, I feel the same. Early forties. Something That's like great. that. That's great. Okay. Uh, all due respect to your wonderful husband. It is a mash game. Three romance slash could be long term, could be short term, sexy times. Three people, any era, any character. <laughs> I don't care if they're books, cartoons, whatever you want. Okay. Um, let's go with Lenny Kravitz currently. Great. You've seen him on the cover of Men's Health. Wow. 56 years old and nicely done, Lenny. Yeah. So this is going to make me sound like a dirty old lady, but um, <laughs> let's go. Let's go with Taryn Egerton from The Kingsman because I think right. he's adorable. Yeah. Both dressed up and also as, you know, in his like street gear. Yeah. He is adorable. Street gear. That definitely makes me sound old. <laughs> in his Whatever those kids are <laughs> Um, And let's come full circle. Let's go. Angelina Jolie, post Billy Bob Thornton, but before Brad Pitt. Oh, what a fun sliver of time that was. <laughs> Bring it back to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, that was, god damn. I know, She right? was just, that, I, I, I think I've said this before about her specifically, because it clearly, like, made a mark on my psyche forever. But that fucking, when she... And Billy Bob get out of the car in like at the Oscars or whatever. And he's like, yeah, we fucked in the car. I, I feel like America took a collective like sexual shudder. Everyone was like, yes. okay, I need a minute. Like, okay, right. all right. Like, ugh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a moment for sure. Okay, great choices, <laughs> great choices. Okay, uh, next category, let's do three movies that you can jump into. You're not reliving the plot. You just get to be in that world with getting it all over you. Moulin Rouge. Nice. Young Frankenstein. Oh, great. And, well, they did make a movie. Um, Fire Walk With Me, Twin Peaks, because sure. Twin Peaks is my fave. I definitely had pictures of... Cheryl and Finn in my locker uh, when I was oh, in high school. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was... Uh, I'm so glad that it came... That that, that, that first 
the first iteration of it came out at exactly the age I was. Like I needed it so bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Did you read the diary? Oh, I read the diary. I, oh re- my I mean, God. I like had the like. My slapped. mom was like, "Why yeah. do you always have this in your hand?" <laughs> oh, I see why you always have this in your hand. <laughs> why is it actually kind to- of the red of the Bible that you get in a hotel room? I don't understand. This is tawdry. I actually yeah. got to tell Jennifer Lynch that story. I was like, "My mom took your book away from me because I was reading it. There's too much dirty stuff in there for my." Age. <laughs> oh, yeah and yeah. i do have a twin peaks themed tattoo oh, where, what's your tattoo <laughs> it's um it's a it's my my leg is all different things but they're all done in like american traditional style um but it's a slice of cherry pie nice and a cup of coffee with the owl symbol on it great um a couple of blue roses and then it, it has a banner that says um wonderful and strange oh i'll fantastic. send you a picture Fantastic. I got to, I got, hopefully I'll get to see it if we ever get to be in the same room together. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. We did a Twin Peaks reunion at the festival that I, uh, have up in San Francisco. I have a comedy festival and like Cheryl didn't go, but Sherilyn went, um, mm-hmm. Dana Ashbrook went like Ugh. Michael Hort. I mean, I'll tell you about it offline, but it oh, was, it God. was very fun. It was very cool. And also oh, very and like then- nerve wracking. You have the whole psych connection too, and they did the dual spires episode. Yes, yes, I got to work with Dana and Ray. Um, yeah, that was a oh. that was a real gift. It was a real gift. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was I was uh, I was really excited. Um, okay, and then final <laughs> category. Um, blah, 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 blah. What do I want to do for our final category? If there's any category that you're like, oh, she didn't ask me, blah blah blah, feel mm. free to throw it out there. Um, otherwise I would just say like maybe the, the, I've been thinking about, I mean, this is definitely always interesting, but certainly during the pandemic where you are really forced to confront all of the skills you don't have that would be handy to have <laughs> about three skills that you would love to wake up with tomorrow. And you've sort of downloaded the matrix style. Like you suddenly mm. are an expert at whatever, whatever they are. Oh my gosh. That's so hard to choose. Let's see. Um, Let's go with, um, (laughs) I would knife fighting. Knife fighting scares the shit out of me. And I never carried a knife on me because I was like, someone's going to take this away from me and know how to use it better than me. I remember you mentioning that on the podcast and I was like, yeah. Oh, did I say that before? It's so visceral. It's so freaking visceral. Yeah. Um, that Hand I kind of want to take like, a knife class a for weapon. that exact reason. Like, I don't like. Let's do it. Um, you know, like let's. Okay, I'll f- I can find one in here. In yeah, LA. when life is sure. back online, let's you and it. I are taking a knife class. That's gonna be great. Oh my god. Um. Gosh, it's been so long, and I still have such a love for dance. But the one I never did was any sort of ballroom dancing. Nice. Yeah. Um, so let's go like. Um, Latin ballroom dancing. Ooh, wonderful. And something musical because that, I don't have any of that either. Um, like I just wake up tomorrow and I have a voice like Adele and I can sing like her. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Uh, I am going to start making my little shape that is going to be mm-hmm. the thing that determines what number we use. So... Tell me when to stop. Okay, stop. Okay. 
Um, while I do some mild calculations, would you uh, <laughs> please expound on where people can find you and what to listen to and how great you are, which I can back up that you are, um, while I do this? I would be happy to. Uh, so I have a podcast called LA Not So Confidential. And it is a true crime and forensic psychology podcast. And my wonderful and much smarter co-host is Dr. Scott. And we are best friends. And like I mentioned, uh, met an internship. And we started this show about three years ago. He has a background in entertainment. And my background, of course, is in law enforcement. So we like to just have a real conversation about psychological concepts that we see throughout true crime and apply a couple cases to them. And then also, if we can, pull some sort of media or entertainment representation of them because we all love a bad Bruce Willis movie <laughs> or a Lifetime movie that has to do with Stockholm Syndrome or, you know, a folie a deux or something that we're talking about that week. Yeah. So uh, that's what we try to do. And we just, we keep it, uh, casual as casual as we can it's so good it's so good Shiloh oh. it really is it's just it's so it's you're both so warm and the fr the friendship obviously is a huge part of it but um and that but but also the sense of it's just wonderful it's wonderful for for, for a Luddite like me or for like a like a like a uh, what's a dilettante like me because you do that you because this is a, a, a such a big part of your profession it is your profession um but you're so wel welcoming in because your enthusiasm is still there that it doesn't make you feel like stand back everyone I'll tell you about da 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 like it's just very like yeah we okay yeah we do know more than you do and we are like this is because we've yeah. decided to do this and now we're going to talk about what's interesting about it with you. And I, I just love that. I think it's so great because it makes you. everybody feel like they're part of the, like a community of people learning and talking about stuff. It's great. Oh, thank you. It's, it's honestly, it's just a really great excuse to be able to like dive into these things that I wish I had the time to do anyway. And yeah. so now I'm like, oh, sorry, I have to go do some research for the podcast and like when I would love to just, you know, get away from the family for a little bit to go talk about or research yeah. murder yeah. and, and <laughs> familicide or, you know, and it, it's a it's a, just a great excuse because it's not as if Scott and I are experts in every single topic we do. I mean, we're we're putting a good amount of time into making sure we're getting people the right information yeah. with with our, our foundation that, of course, we do have. Yeah. So, but it's yeah, great. it's it's a blast. Did you did you I. I how quickly did it sort of become like, oh, this is a whole like, oh, not we're we're doing our thing and people are listening to us, but we are instantly being brought into the fold of these other podcasts that want to hear our perspective on stuff, because I feel like that happened fairly quickly for you guys in a way that I haven't necessarily seen with other podcasts that maybe don't offer up as unique a perspective or as professional perspective. Yeah. I just, cause you all of a sudden you guys were everywhere and it was great. Oh I gosh. mean, I have nothing but good thing to say about it, but I was like, damn, nice job. Like now you're on Bora <laughs> Murray. Now you're on like this Sarah Turi. You know, now it, you're on this. Like, great. Yeah. I, I think it did take a little while, but also I think, you know, it's the whole reason why we started it because we were like, there's nobody working in the field right now. Like there's definitely a void to be filled 
And then uh, again, like going back to like, I'm just a people person. I'm a networker. I'll talk to everybody. Yeah. I mean, and Scott also, of course. Um, but it, when people need an expert in an area and no one else is doing it, I mean, not like we're just it to pick from, but it was a combination of us sort of bringing this expertise, but also um, making the time to really connect with people. And I, and I think probably summer of last year, 2019, when we started doing live events mm-hmm. and really meeting people and, and being asked to be on panels and stuff like that, that helped propel that a little bit more. Yeah. It's a, the, the podcast world. The, the stuff it's I like the most, is, it's such a crazy community. And obviously they're very different communities, one from the other, depending on whether like you're into yeah. comedy or this. And that's why I love like doing something like the, the podcast festival pod X, which is where I met Rebecca and Susan and, and, and Rabia in person. I already knew uh-huh. Colin like from the internet, but, um, that was great because it was a, just a total mix of like all yes. different kinds of podcasts. And I was like, I want more of that. Because there's so much crossover in listenership, even with the podcast hosts themselves, to be like, oh, yeah, I, I know all these people in this community, but I listen to these podcasts over here, and now I get to, you know, be with them and be on there. I, I, I love that stuff. But it really and is very welcome. Everyone's so nice. Yes. Like, people everyone is are so nice. Incredible. It's a really met, unique so. place to be. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you're a part of it. I love it. Um, I'm love also it. feeling very, very positive about these MASH results. Ooh, um, let's hear it. I'm, I, I'm noticing a trend, but I don't want to, like, give too much away. Uh, so I'll, I'll call mm. out what the trend seems to be a little bit from my perspective as we get towards the end. Um, okay. First of all, I want to congratulate you for your beautiful singing voice. I mean... <gasps> anywhere any song just there it is like you're like people are like will you please would you sing like here we Uh, are looking sitting and looking at the stars will you just sing for us please of course of course um so that's fabulous uh (laughs) i like to see some of that take public i know you go to bruges to just like relax because that's where you have your second Mm. home but to have you do like a christmas concert in bruges (gasps) as like a gift to the under the tower under the tower in the square i want you to give it some thought i know that contextually that's right. work but I want you to give it some thought because I think a lot of people would really appreciate right. that show people are like holding their mold wine yeah and like maybe they maybe they have a candle in one hand and the mold wine oh. in the other so it's like all lit by candlelight I would love to I would great love to. great okay for the people I'm gonna hold you to that I'm gonna hold you to that uh I also want to now we got this little pair of things that have shown up which I'm Ooh. which I'm excited about because the reason that you know the answer to the Black Dahlia murder is that you have the ability to just be in that time frame of LA <gasps> whenever you want. No, so you may so have I can been watch the one it who happen. It. Exactly, like you're a, you are a witness to, and you are, and so you're getting that, but you're also getting everything that that goes along in that same era. Um, so those oh, two ended up goodness. going hand in hand, which I think is great. Um, I don't know when I like I don't. Don't know if people were like munching down on breakfast burritos back in that era of Hollywood, but I want you to know if you want them, they're there for you yeah. as they are for you at any time in any place. Love it. In perpetuity, you'll never feel full if you don't want to. So you can just keep eating <laughs> the, the best burrito of all time. Uh okay. Yes. So that's also amazing. Mm-hmm. I want to congratulate you on your and you know, listen, I I, I don't think it's a coincidence the fact that you uh did become an FBI agent. 
Um, oh, perhaps okay. that is part of what comes into play as you are solving these mysteries and experiencing this whole time Hollywood. Right. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, not only that, but you can dive into, and this could probably use your help as well, because I know Dale Cooper has gone through a lot. Maybe he needs your FBI expertise as you jump into Twin Peaks mm. Firewalk with me. Maybe he's one of my FBI boyfriends. Maybe he's one of your men From Washington. Again, many, <laughs> many, many boyfriends. One for every of them. state. <laughs> oh, there's just so many. Uh, A and girl that can leads, dream, well, right? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It actually works out great because I'll mm. tell you who's not going to have a problem with this particular arrangement is Angelina fucking Jolie. Look at that. Look at all of that. And I feel like you got all the stuff we kind of talked about the most. Like, am I crazy? I feel like the things, and they're not necessarily just, like there's so many of them are the things that we lingered on and you happen to end up getting them. Oh, and you and you have a house in Bruges, I should say. You do not have a mansion, apartment, oh, or shack. Oh, okay. You just have like a wonderful house in Bruges. Uh, that's all you need. That's all, that's you, all you need. need. Um, yeah, that, so uh, this is... Mm, that's a, that's very, a magic right there. Very magical mash right there. See, the more the more effort you put into it, it's got to turn out good. That's so, right. That's I right. Mean... You put a lot of time and care into it. <laughs> you know what? When when I knew you did this mash game, it also reminds me. Did you do slam books as well? No, I never knew what a really? slam book was until Mean <gasps> Girls. I didn't know what it was. Oh my god! Did I'm you like, guys she have should slam have books? A virtual slam book that like all her guests go sign or something. I yes, we did. Slam, yeah. I, it might have but isn't been it more mean? junior high. No, it it's not like the one in Mean oh, Girls. It's, okay, okay, okay. So I, I hope like other people in your audience know what I'm talking about. But so the it basically like think of a spiral binder or spiral notebook, mm-hmm. and page one you just pass it around to all your friends and they list their names. So. Like, I pass my book to you, Janet's number one, and then every subsequent page has a different question, like, what's your favorite color? Who's your favorite band? And then on line one, you fill it out, and so you end up having this book of, like, all your friends' favorite things, or, like... Oh, that's great. It could be, like, who would you... Who do you want to be your boyfriend? And it's kind of cool, because then you have this book of, like... Wait, why is it called a slam book? Slam book sounds so mean. I don't know. No, I don't think it was to slam people. I don't know why it was called Wait, that. Maybe you just had really great friends who were like, I don't like what the original slam book's intention was. I'm going to turn this into a positive oh thing. And they made it into something wonderful. People have to know what this is. I want, I'm curious to see right, if you get we'll more get some, feedback we'll, about I'm it. I'm sure we'll get some tweets and stuff. It'll be good. It'll be good. <laughs> Shiloh, this was so much fun. What a great way to spend part of a delightful COVID afternoon. Uh, Thank you. This was so great. This, this was so great. I really hope that we um, get a chance to do more stuff together and uh, and ideally be in the same actual physical space. It'd be very cool. I got a lot of tattoos please. I got to look at, and I do not mean that in a call HR kind of way. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. And if you want to go get one together, let me know. No. I was just. Yeah, I've definitely. been thinking about it more. It's funny how you, COVID suddenly you're like, hmm. You know, maybe that's maybe there's. Look, uh, no one's asking yeah. me to put on a bikini anymore. So maybe I could right? start thinking about some spots that would not be that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I actually got it. a speakeasy tattoo at the beginning of COVID um, when all the tattoo parlors were shut down. And oh, you uh, got a speakeasy. Text, I texted, texted my guy and I'm like, are you really still working? And he was like, wear a mask, come alone, 
come to the back door. Yeah. Text me that you're here. Um, and it was nice because no one's in there. But then I was like, okay, cool. I can wear a mask for four hours. I know this is going to sound weird, but you are going to have to go through an empty refrigerator to get there. It's just like right. a precaution I'm taking. So no one knows it's my place. Worth it. Straight up speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Jen. You, it was so much fun. It was nice to talk about things that aren't just solely true crime either (laughs) yeah listen i like a smattering i like a smattering um all right everybody thank you so much i will talk to you next time on the podcast the show is recorded by me and edited by julian burrell and as always the jv club theme song is back before we were brittle by the amazing say hi MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.